Hello and welcome to The Things That Make Us, a podcast about people and the objects that have shaped them. My name is Zoe Laughlin and each week I invite a guest to pick five things that have inspired, delighted, provoked or influenced them. We then talk about these things at a time and place of their choosing, with as many of the items present as possible. I'm stood in one of the world's most famous luxury department stores, amongst the work of this week's guest, master perfume maker Roger Dove. Roger can identify, whilst blindfold, over 800 scents. He makes these extraordinary luxury perfumes that contain the world's finest ingredients and are a real celebration of the art and craft of the perfumier. He's a passionate advocate for the power of smell and to celebrate his life's work, we invited Roger to give a talk at the Institute of Making. The evening was in two halves. The first half was Roger talking about his perfume, guiding us through the practice and conceptual process he goes through to make a perfume and he also allowed us to experience a range of exquisite smells. And the second half of the evening was an in-conversation type affair where I interviewed Roger for a live recording of the things that make us. materials library and the institute of making actually essentially was born out of three people who had in their sheds and studios and labs collections of stuff and bonded over this idea that we loved materials and what you could do with them and we would always come together and have conversations holding clutching things going cool look at this knobbly bobbly what's it i've found you know and we would enjoy having conversations with things and for quite some time now, I've been sort of thinking that there's something in that. There's something that happens when you have objects in your hand that is different from just talking about it. We've all experienced now an evening where you've all been handed out things to experience. And that's a very powerful sort of way of having a conversation. And so I thought there's a kind of idea there. Imagine sort of desert island discs, but instead of picking your favourite music tracks, you're sort of picking objects or things, you know, things that have been incredibly influential in your life or inspire you or delight you or turn you on or disgust you, but somehow, you know, invoke powerful reactions or mean something to you in a way that um, would perhaps be interesting to an audience. So we're testing that out tonight. <laughs> We've invited Roger to bring five objects with him. Maybe he snuck in an extra one, I'm not sure. But um, to essentially bring five things with him and talk to us about them, but also for those things to become a vehicle for a conversation. So I have a number of questions lined up that I want to dig in and ask Roger, but equally I want to him to show us the things he's brought us and talk about them. So without further ado, <laughs> Roger Dove, what were you like as a child? <laughs> Apparently very clingy. Oh. <laughs> yes, but that's another story. According, according to who? <laughs> my mother. I learned that um, when my mother had her 61st year of marriage, she came to London. It was the first night she ever, ever had spent away from my father. I, I wanted her to come to London. I realised that the world I in, inhabited, I spoke to her about, but I didn't know if she actually could visualize it and um, I don't know what made it crop up I tell you a funny story with it well, I think it's a funny story what we notice as children I, I know, knew that my father when he left for work would always give my mother a peck on the cheek and one day he didn't do it and I noticed he never did it again I don't know how old I was so I'm going to say I'm 12 I don't know what the age was but it stuck in my mind 
And on this thing, when I brought my mum to London, um, I said to her, do you mind if I ask you a very personal question? She said, no. And I said, well, I noticed that uh, Dad didn't kiss you goodbye anymore one day, and he never did it afterwards. So she said, well, darling, your father accused me of having an affair. He set a private detective on me, and so I decided that was it. The shop was shut. <laughs> and I just thought it was brilliant. My mother had the most fantastic sense of humour. So that was it. The shop was shut, and that was that. <laughs> so were you sensorily aware as a child? Like, were, was smell something yeah. very... Totally. I first... Well, I've always said um, that I thought my first memory of smell was uh, when I was six or seven, that's figurative, and I remember my mother coming to give me a kiss goodnight. She was standing in the entrance of my bedroom. Um, the landing light was on. She was wearing a dress made out of gold lame, and as the light hit her, it was as if she had a corona or a halo around her. So as a small child, you know, you've only ever seen that sort of image in a book. It's the image of a, a fairy or an angel or something. So somehow it's as if my mother had been had metamorphosed. And I remember her coming to give me a kiss goodnight. And as she kissed me, I remember the smell of her face powder and her scent. And I've always said that I believe that it was at that second that I was put on this path that I was born to walk down. I don't know, of course, if that is true, but it's what I believe. My mother had said to me when I was very, uh, one day, that... Uh, how sad she was with this generation of the family, that my family name would die out. Uh, my brother is married with no children. My sister is married, has children with her husband's name. I'm a gay man. I never give my mother children, grandchildren. And um, it hit me hard. And after she died, my friend said to me, well, you've spent your entire life promoting, curating, caretaking other people's work. When will you do it for yourself? And so I came with this idea of launching um, a range of perfumes. And it's why in the smallest writing on the back of every box and every bottle, it's the smallest thing on the bottle, most people will never even notice, it says a fragrance by Roger Dove. Because I hope that if this took off, that uh, I could leave some sort of legacy behind. So I've always said that I'm very privileged because I've never had to question what I want to do. It's as if somehow it was laid out before me. Uh, I trained at a very old French house, Guerlain. I worked with them for 15 years. The training as a classical perfumer is a... Uh, sorry, I worked with them for 20 years. The training was a 15-year training. Surgeons take eight years to train. Uh, most perfumers working today are not trained that way. They're trained uh, in a different way, more as a perfumer chemist. I left in 2001. I invested my entire life saving in it. I had no idea if it would work or not. I launched it on July the 2nd. July the 3rd would have been my parents' wedding anniversary, but we had to launch it on a Saturday. We launched it in Harrods, and they told me... I had no idea how much do you make. I'd never made a commercial product. So I had to say to them, well, how much do I make? And they said, well, make this much. It would last you between four and six months. And we sold out of all the stock in 10 days. And we were, we are, were and are the most successful launch in Harrods history. And within six months, we're the number one selling brand in their shop. And I pinch myself, because uh, who could believe? So what's your first object? <laughs> My first object is the one thing that I'm sure you will never be able to guess why a perfumer would need it. 
It's a hammer. Um, I use this hammer. It's a very old hammer with all sorts of things inside. Uh, it's an old Harrods hammer my father had. And it's essential for me for one particular raw material. Inside this jar is a raw material which is almost uh, mythological. Most people never have the chance to smell it or see it. Um, this very unlikely looking thing, which looks like a little bit of coal, this is ambergris. Ambergris is a pathological secretion from a whale. So the whale swallows a squid. The squid has a horny, like a beak, and it cuts the respiratory tract of the whale. And so it starts a natural phenomenon, and that is that the, a wax paste forms around the cuttlefish in the same way a grain of sand produces the, oyster, uh, the pearl in the oyster. And in old days, it used to be referred to as the pearl of the whale. Once it starts, uh, the phenomenon doesn't stop. So the whale has to get rid of it. Uh, a lot of it breaks off and passes through the whale, but the whale will metaphorically honk it up like a cat honks up a furball. Uh, it floats on the ocean because it's made from wax. It's made out of cholesterol, uh, sphingolipids, and phospholipids, fundamentally. And it oxidizes, and it's the oxidation which gives it its scent. So the thing I think is interesting with a raw material like this, you know, no one can go out to a shop and suddenly buy some. It is chance. Fishermen find it in their nets. If it hasn't oxidized for long enough, it's of no use. Um, and so we grade it like this. So it comes in, and I sit with my hammer and pulverize it. Uh, so that's why a perfumer needs one of those. Um, thanks for passing me the tincture. Can, can I have a smell? Yeah. Or am I not allowed to touch no, you it? You can smell it. It will smell uh, very animal. It's, uh, it's <laughs> in, in 16th century India, they tried to understand this raw material. And they had two explanations for it. One, they thought it was an animal that had died and was decomposing. Yeah, I get that. Which was sort of, which was sort of near the truth. But the second was that they thought that there was maybe a volcano under the ocean and this stuff spewed out and floated on the sea. Once you pulverize it, what do you do with it? And I don't know if you'll be able to see if I can get the light right. I don't know if you can see from where you are. But there's something very dark in the bottom of the bottle. Can you see it or not really? Yeah, I mean, that looks like a sort of multi vinegar or something. And then up here, it's this sort of golden color. Can you see in the bottom there's something a bit dark? Sediment. There. Sediment, do you see mm. it? So what we do, everybody in my company knows that when they come to where I work, they have to pick this up and do this to it. Give it a good shake. How much do you think that is worth what's inside there? If you wanted to buy that from me, I would ask you about £80,000. <gasps> so you have a raw material inside a perfume, and this raw material costs many times the price of gold. Why do I bother using raw materials like it? It's very simple. If the raw material didn't have a very particular effect, there's no point in me using it. So do you go hunting for raw materials? Uh, no, I have very specific suppliers. If you take something like the rose you smelt, you can have the same rose growing in the same field. Half is harvested and it goes to this distiller. Half goes to that distiller. In this distillery, they distill it uh, five degrees hotter for two minutes longer. The oil will smell totally different to the one next door. 
So you have to mm. choose the oil for the effect you want. So how do you train a nose? Um, time. It's um, when the way I trained. I was given ten oils, and I had to commit them to memory in a day. That's simple. You smelt the ten materials, and you had to write the things it made you think of, because sense about memory. In the end, you know, if something made me think of my grandmother always used to keep apples on trays in the basement of her home. So if something made me think of that, you make the connection, that's such and such a material. So the next day you get 10 new oils and the first 10, and then the next day it's 10 new oils and the 20, and then 10 oils and 30. And then we finished the first week and got to 50, we were left alone and... You know, you carried on with them. It wasn't an apprenticeship, but it was like an apprenticeship. So you've essentially developed this extraordinary skill, craft, yeah, well, capability. The, the difficult thing, a lot of people say, what's it like having a nose like yours? And I said, well, I have no idea because I don't know what your nose mm. is like. How do you maintain that nose? Do you have a, a nose regime that you can no. share with us? <laughs> or is it insured for um, millions of pounds? No, I have um, having a, fab, a, a, a fine sense of smell is, you know, one of those... Curses and pleasures. I, ne I will never go on the underground uh, because it's like, to me, it's like uh, 500 different pieces of music playing at the same time. And I just, mm. uh, and once I was on a plane flying to somewhere, who knows, New York, say, and I had to ask the purser whether she would mind either moving me or the stewardess. And I said it in a very nice way. It wasn't me being grand. I just said, I'm really sorry, but either please move me or please move this woman because I can't stay on the plane with her. And I didn't see the stewardess. But I was, wasn't being some big prima donna. It was just, poof. so it's very difficult. And the other thing that's difficult, I want, remember once uh, saying to somebody, uh, uh, this man is very ill. I met a young man uh, somewhere, and when he was talking to me, I said, I smell death or illness on this man. And it turned out that he had something very badly wrong with him. And I just caught it on his breath. It's, um, so it's a curse. It's mm. a curse and it's a fabulous gift. I don't know. It's, I live my life through my nose. The most frightening thing for me is when I get a cold. Everybody knows who works with me. I deny colds. I deny illness. I always say I'm never ill. I tell illness always to bugger off. I don't want it around me. But that, the smelling the illness thing is interesting because they do now looking at training dogs yes. who can smell in, cancer in, and that indeed. kind of thing. Definitely. Have you thought about... Sniffing out semtex? No, I think that if I ended up walking around sniffing people, they'd end up... I mean, I do sniff people sometimes when I'm walking Security around. for Harris, you could be doing the thing. Anyhow. So what's your next object, Roger? I really have lived... Um, I, I do this pinch-pinch thing. I mean, I think that I work hard, but I love what I do, so I don't really work, in a way. When I was young, most likely being very precocious... I was quite good at language and quite good at science and thought that I was going to go uh, most likely into medical research or something like that. That's what I had in my mind. You did medicine at Cambridge, And I right? ended up giving it up and did something a bit more floaty than that. But um, <laughs> anyhow, uh, one of the languages I studied was Russian and I learned it for about three years. So I had this great idea that I wanted to go and uh, practice medical research or something in Russia. I'm sure I'd read too many Ian Fleming books, but anyhow. So it's now 2011, and I'm suddenly walking around in Moscow. And I was told, oh, yes, yes, we've got all sorts of things arranged for you. And one of the things that we have arranged is that you're going to have a private tour of the Kremlin. Now, you know, I'm These old, are the circles you mix in, I'm old enough, as I'm sure some of you are in the room, to remember when Russia was a closed country, 
and none of us knew what went on in the Kremlin. So the Kremlin was a great mystery. So I'm now merrily wandering around uh, inside the Kremlin. This is me sitting in <laughs> Mr. Putin's chair. <laughs> I had a fabulous, fabulous uh, translator and guide who were very kind, because they were, they, I'm sure some people, when they walk around, it's like, oh, aren't I lucky? Look at me, I'm important, I'm here. I was walking up, look at my head, like this. I, I couldn't believe I was there. You know, it's a chance in a lifetime. So I asked, could I take photographs? And I was shocked. They said yes. So I'm ready, you know, click, 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 click. And then I, the thing I loved most in the entire place, I saw a room and I said, could I go to look at it? And the woman said I could. And I thought it was the most breathtaking thing because it was so simple and yet so decadent. Now, this is in a place where they have solid malachite fires with gold fittings and a solid gold log basket. So what was the thing that, for me, was the most <laughs> decadent thing in the entire place? It was the Tsarina's bathroom. And it had a bath that was made out of one solid piece of marble in soft gray. But that wasn't the thing. It was that the wall behind it was covered in silk. And I thought that was so decadent because when you bathe, you splash. And silk with splash on it ruined. So I don't know this. I just had this idea of, you know, people standing holding fabric <laughs> to protect. I don't know what they did, but I just had that as my little fantasy. So I went to look at this room, which actually was very plain. It just had soft pink silk and a gray bathtub. So I then, because I got on with this woman quite well, said, could I sit in Mr. Putin's chair? I thought you were going to say, could I get in the bath? I was like, oh, Roger. <laughs> I would have done that. <laughs> so she said yes, and here's me sitting in Mr. Putin's chair. Roger, are you ambitious? No. What about competitive? Uh, I, don't know, I don't know that I'm competitive. What I'd say I am... I have a saying which drives people maybe slightly mad in my company, which is, it will do, will never do. I think that I am most likely the hardest judge on myself. I always criticize what I do. Uh, I hate laziness. I think that uh, people who don't research things and learn about things, I have very little time for. Um, and then you have to just do the best you can. So, you know, I sit in my world and I do what I do to the best of my ability. What then ends up happening with all of it just seems to sort of have its own life. Mm. Uh, would I celebrate being an also ran? No, I most likely wouldn't. What drives me is that I, am a, I have a point of view and I have the ability to express my point of view and I'm not answerable to anybody. I learnt one day to understand that I'm actually okay. And I think that's a very important, if you can get there, I think that's really a very important place to get to. A very personal story, but it actually is who am I as a person. When I was very small, uh, my father never once called me by my Christian name. The first time I heard my father say my name was in 2009. As a small child, I don't know if you can imagine the effect that that might have, but my father managed to make me think that I was totally worthless. I was very lucky that when I was 17, I met the person that I live with uh, now, uh, still, and he was the person that made me believe in me. On all of the products, I spell my name R-O-J-A. I was christened Roger with a G, 
Um, but when I was about 10 or 11, I started spelling my name that way, phonetically, because I knew my father had given me my name, and he didn't use it. Um, so I think I am a strong person, because when I was younger, I wasn't very strong. And somebody believed in me, and... And you're still together now, after yes, meeting 40, at 17? 41 years down the line. <laughs> so what's yeah. it like at home, is it...? Is it Oh, we live apart most of the time. It's why it's lasted so long. No, um, we live very... Uh, we're very, very grounded. As human beings, we're very grounded. We share exactly the same values, but as people, we're very different. Peter is a home bird. I'm uh, very much uh, a flitter. I'm very impulsive. If this evening somebody said, let's do this, I, yes! You know, I live like that. I like doing it. And Peter's the opposite of that. At the weekend, because I've exhausted myself flitting around during the week, I'm very happy to be the home bird when I go back home. <laughs> and your next object, please. Well, my next object, I suppose, is the... This, let's get the book. So, okay. The problem with perfumery is language is totally subjective. It's very easy... If well, easy? If you make something, you have the know-how, you can say, well, no, that needs to be a millimetre smaller. Uh, you know, the saturation of colour. You can see it. It's easy, easier. It's tangible. So just imagine when I sit down with a client for a bespoke perfume, how the conversations go. Well, I don't want anything strong. Well, that's really helpful, isn't it? What is a strong smell? A strong smell is just something you don't like. If I put something on you and you don't like it, it becomes omnipotent. So therefore, it's strong. Put the same smell on the person by your side. If they love it, it's not strong at all. So most of the language is very, very uh, subjective. If somebody said to me, you know, what I'd really like is a storax, a poponax, and benzoin accord. <laughs> Double thumbs up. But funnily, people don't say that. So anyhow, I have this, uh, these books. Without these books, I couldn't do my work. They are uh, the first place I start when I make a scent. And I thought it might be interesting for you uh, to hear something. I sit and give the oils, like you smell, but I never tell people what they're going to smell. So I give the oil and I notate what they say to me. And then patterns come. Mm. So I maybe see that every time I give what we would call a powdery flower, which are things like mimosa or a heliotrope violet, the person doesn't like it. It becomes simple. I therefore don't use powdery flowers. Maybe every time I give a wood note, they do like it, and so on and so on. So I thought that I would read to you... This is, Roger's now opening his little black book. My little black book. Leather bound. Which you can't see who the clients are. That's very important. <laughs> so, I have also... Uh, this is very funny, the reason I write it. Because when I write it, it fixes it in my mind. So I, have, I write funny things like, mm, or mm. And mm is always three M's with an underline, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to, I'll tell you what this raw material is in a minute. But I would like to, to read three things. They're very short, from three different clients as they smell a particular raw material. So the first one goes, mm. This wasn't mm, this was mm. A tweed jacket that's got wet. Unpleasant. No, certainly not a smell I would enjoy. Damp smell of the countryside. Okay. The next one. Yes, lovely. 
That reminds me of a perfume my grandmother wore. Very romantic for me. A very French scent. Grounded, woody, spicy. It could be a fragrance. Homey and warm. Maternal. And the third one. Smells like a perfume. <laughs> Followed by like something else. A bit like what they clean the common parts of my building. <laughs> Daisies, little white flowers, nothing particular or spectacular. What they smelt is jasmine from grass, five million flowers to make a kilo, and I pay 34,000 pound for that particular raw material for one kilo. Of course, if I started by saying, of course, this is the rarest jasmine in the world, oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah. So the beauty of it, I really learn how people feel about the oils, and that helps me then create the, the mm. scent. But you can't possibly tell us who some of no, your of clients are. No, of course I can't. Uh, well, who, one, of the, one of them, what I will say, the last one, uh, I don't know if you're working out, and I won't tell you, but the last one is one of the most famous actresses in the world, um, who has a very grand voice. So I love the thing that it's in the common parts of my building. Anyhow, <laughs> if you knew the person, it's especially funny. So who, if you could make then a perfume for anybody, who might you pick? Um, I'm not particularly a strong monarchist, but I would make a perfume for the Queen. And the reason for it is uh, I make perfumes for nearly every other living monarch. And I think it's rather a shame that I don't make one for my own. Whatever one's view on monarchy, whatever it is, I think that anybody that's done the same old job for that length of time and blah, blah, blah. But it's more the thing that I really would love to make something for my monarch than I would others. Not that I don't mind making it for the other monarchs too, but there we are. And what's your next object? Somebody asked me how all this stuff is designed and all of that. Uh, with the bottle, I wanted to make something which is incredibly sober. The boxes, all of my boxes are very plain. Everything is about contrast. I love contrast. When you touch something, subconsciously, you feel matteness and shine. And the little indent was a suggestion that what's inside is not like the sobriety of outside. If you haven't worked it out, I adored my mother. She was an amazing, really an amazing woman. And when I was very small, I used to go jewellery shopping with her. She said, if a diamond's any good, it should have lots of colours. You should be able to see all the colours. You know, I fell in love with jewellery. I wear far too much jewellery. I have very little on this evening. I would normally look more like a Christmas tree. But, um, but anyhow. But you have a significant number of sparkles. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, anyhow. <laughs> and lots, lots of this stuff was my mum's. You know, this pair of cufflinks were a pair of her earrings. Mm. And this bracelet that I wear, I bought this for my mother. And when she died, it was the one thing that I said I wanted, because she used to kiss it every day. Um, anyhow, there are loads of stories around it. Well, one day, I was out somewhere, and I saw this diamond ring. I fell in love with it. And um, I had this ring designed and had it made, and I took it home, and I said to Peter, what do you think? He said, it's the most vulgar thing I've ever seen. <laughs> well, do you hold it out? Let me have a closer look. I love the cut of it. I mean, that's a mighty big stone. It's 7.14 7 carats, which is quite large. 
Um, it's, a, it's a good centimetre and a half long. I don't, I'm not a size queen. I'm just so trying to, for the audio people, just trying to, you know, give them yeah. something to okay. get hold of. So I then decided that I wanted it interpreted, and it's what makes the cap. Um, my company has a million things which make references to things. The tester stands are exactly the same number of centimetres long as the year I was born. You know, it goes on and on like that. We have hundreds of little stories. So the diamond ring is the thing because the diamond ring makes me think of something very glamorous. So you like it or you don't like it, but it's something very glamorous. And it connects me to something that I love, which is about permanence. And I think that jewelry is something we inherit and we pass down. And the memory of scent is something we pass down. Roger, we are coming to the end of our time. Dum, but dum, I, dum, I know, dum, but I really want to ask you, I, hope, I, don't think, I think I feel like I know what the answer might be. But if you weren't doing this, God, what, what would you do? Have you ever looked at someone other? Well, I wouldn't mind having a go I at that. Likely, or? I most likely would be quite happy being not quite a beach bum, but something like that. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know what I would do. I can't answer the question. I've never, because I've never had to contemplate doing something else. I can't imagine not doing this. Born to do what you're doing right now. Yeah, and, and I'm aware how lucky I am, because I have, over the years, loads of friends who are very unhappy doing what they're doing, but they don't know what to do to help themselves to make the change. And I think that's such a difficult thing. So it's one of the other reasons I've always said that I think I've led a privileged or charmed life because it seems it was mapped out for me. And therefore, I don't, I don't question what I do because I love it. Well, that strikes me as the perfect note to end on <laughs> yes. there. Roger Dove, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. listening to the things that make us to see pictures of the things selected by the guest in this and all episodes please visit the things that make you can get in touch with the show via twitter at things make us and if you like what you hear please subscribe so not to miss the next installment